Welcome to NABREP Spotlight. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining me today. NABREP Spotlight is sponsored by NABREP Connections and the City of Cleveland Cable Television Equity in the Arts Fund. NABREP Spotlight showcases citizens making positive contributions to their neighborhoods. My guest today is Mr. Waverly Willis, founder and owner of the Urban Cuts Barbershop, founder and executive director of the Urban Barber Association, Chairman of the Ohio Barber and Beauty Alliance, Director of Community Outreach at La Barberia Institute of Hair, and a state-certified barber instructor. Growing up in the historic community of East Cleveland, he attended Shaw High School, where he was on the wrestling team and an All-American star football player, receiving a scholarship to Kent State University. In 2005, he graduated from the Ohio Barber Academy. In 2013, he received a Bachelor of Arts degree from Cleveland State University. And in 2014, his barber instructor's license from the Hone Barber College. Affectionately known as Big Wave the Boss, he is also known for his big heart and for giving back to the community. His barbershop, where all are welcome, is a community center and a family center. Entrepreneur, educator, visionary, community advocate, program innovator, mentor, and a barber with over 20 years of experience. His journey and accomplishments have been featured in local media and nationally. In 2019, he received the Old Brooklyn Founders Award. 2021, the John H. Bustamani Emerging Entrepreneur Award. 2022, the Nick Cannon Big Heart Award. In 2015, 2016, 2017, Urban Cuts was named Best Barbershop in Cleveland. Currently, Mr. Willis resides with his family in the historic Kudel neighborhood. He is a Neighborhood Connections grant recipient and a member of the Neighbor Up Network. Welcome to Neighbor Up Spotlight, Mr. Willis. It's such an honor to have you here today. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate you guys um, sharing the spotlight with me a little bit. I oh. definitely um, have been watching you guys and cheering for you guys over the years <laughs> and um it's an honor to be here. Oh, well, thank you. It's a pleasure. We got a lot to go through, so let's let's jump right on in. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, listen. You began cutting hair for kids in the neighborhood at your home for three dollars. What lesson did your mom teach you by charging you one dollar? Uh, well, that is a funny story. Now, um, my mother, God rest her soul, Wardell Willis. She um, she had she was the single parent of three boys and one girl and uh she was a hard working woman she could not afford to take her three boys to the barbershop so she was our barber and um for many years and i remember um my mom used to cut her cut our hair and she did a really 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 bad job <laughs> at it and uh, when I would get to school, the kids would all laugh, point finger, and make jokes about my haircut. And uh, I remember I was about between 8 and 10 years old. My mom sat me down for my every three-week or monthly haircut. And um, I, I remember it like it was a bad, reoccurring nightmare. <laughs> uh, she approached my head with clipper in hand, and I kind of just reached up and kind of grabbed her wrist and said, Mom, can I just cut my own hair? And, you know, she said, I don't I don't care who cuts your hair as long as it gets cut. And I began cutting my own hair. <laughs> and um, 
same results, though. You know, when I would get to the school, I probably did a worse job than my mom did. Uh, the kids laughed harder, pointed more fingers, and, and uh, made more jokes about my haircut. But I continued to cut my own hair, and um, I would use the kids in the neighborhood of the same demographic, single-parent homes. And, uh, you know, I, I was 8 to 10. I would grab the 3- and 4-year-olds. They didn't okay. care about their hair. And they, they were my guinea pigs. <laughs> And the parents didn't care because, you know, it looked better than before. Right. And uh, uh, soon thereafter, maybe a year or two after, the same kids at my school and in the neighborhood that was making fun of my haircuts, they they began to pull me to the side and, and, and discreetly ask if I could cut their hair. Okay. And so I knew I was on to something then, you know. <laughs> like anything, if you practice at it, you get better at right. it. Right. And so... Um, my mom's basement began to be filled with, on Saturday mornings, uh, the kids in the neighborhood as well as kids from school. And she would kind of peek downstairs or peek out of her back window to see, count the heads that was coming in and out of her home. Okay. And uh, that's when she hit me with, uh, she needed to uh, <laughs> charge me a dollar per person uh, for... Uh, her venue space, <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, though, those were her clippers. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I was getting charged a, a booth rental fee. That's what we call it in the barbering industry. <laughs> you pay booth rent every week. Right. And uh, but I, I I taught the the value of um, hard work. I got taught that I I learned at an early age that there is truly no free lunch. Right. You're going to have to pay. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I was disgruntled then. Again, like you said, I was only getting $3 a haircut, and she was taking one of them. Right. But um, I, 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 it, I just learned that, you know, you have to pay pay your way through life. Right. So um, I value the lesson that my mom taught me, um, and it, it's, it still remains true to this day. So from that moment on, did you realize that, hey, you know, I, I think I might want to be a barber? I definitely have been fortunate since a small kid. Now, outside of the normal dreams of of a kid wanting to be a, a rapper, you know, and, <laughs> right. you know, some wanted to be rock stars. And, you know, in, in my culture, in my neighborhood, we wanted to be rappers or uh, football or basketball players. Uh, I definitely knew that barbering uh, was... Uh, it was in my heart. It was definitely a passion of mine. Yeah. yeah. So now, who is Alonzo Franklin Herndon, and how has his story inspired you? Because I didn't know who he was, and that's the one thing I love about doing these interviews, because I learn the new information. Great story. I found a little film on him. So share with our audience who this gentleman is and how he inspired your story, too. Uh, Alonzo Franklin Herndon, uh, earlier in, in years, and... People say that uh, Madam C.J. Walker was the first black millionaire, and I do push back with that. Um, and then I don't, you know, I don't want to. I'm not a historian. Well, the but, first woman, anyway. They give her right. Yeah, first black woman millionaire. Right. Um, but anyway, Alonzo Franklin Herndon. He was uh, a millionaire, and he started out. Uh, he eventually, I think, it was selling insurance. But he started out as being a barber. Um, and so me just studying him and, and learning about him, I'm kind of, and a lot of successful barbers today are kind of emulating what he's done, you mm -hmm. know, outside of being a barber to, you know, 
you know, make my money to pay my bills. It has allowed me to build a platform for myself. And essentially that's what Mr. Herndon did. Yes. Was uh, he built a platform for himself by opening up um, several barbershops. And with that platform, he leveraged his platform that he made through barbering into uh, – doing other things to to um, make wealth. And today, one of the buzzwords and one of the things that we teach in the entrepreneurial space is having more than one um, line of income. Right. As old folks used to say, having more than one iron in the fire. A- exactly. <laughs> yep. that's, exactly. What, that's the saying I was brought up with. Yep. And yeah. Th- the same, same thing, just different language. Exactly. So, uh, so that's what I'm doing today. That's what other uh, several other barbers are doing today and entrepreneurs in general, general. So, you know, during Black History Month and when we just talk about, um, you know, prominent black people that whose shoulders we stand on today, you know, every, schools and, and powers that be, of course, we want to recognize Dr. King and, and you know, other Black people, but we want to wreck. It's a lot. It's a myriad. So much history. It's so much history. So much history. And so every chance that I get, I just want to recognize uh, Mr. Herndon because he was intricate to me. And just while I got this moment, uh, a lot of uh, black barbers back in the day after slavery was over, um, they were very well skilled in cutting um, straight hair, which people that's the technical term for it which a lot of caucasian people have yes and even when we opened up barbershops our own barbershops we uh a lot of white barbers would get angry because a lot of the prominent white people would come continue to come to the black barber because we were so skilled and even though we owned our own businesses we still had to go in the back door. Yeah, you, you know, so it, it, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're right. So, and, and and the one thing in reading about Mr. Herndon, I just want to share mm-hmm. that he 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 started the Atlanta Life Insurance Company. Yep. And I say that because you know where that office sat. That office sat on the corner of 79th and Euclid. For mm-hmm. years, yep. the land of life. So when I when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that yep. building sat right on the corner with that sign forever, you yep. know? Exactly. Forever. And people don't know that uh, at the beginning, this gentleman was a barber. So yes. that's why I recognize him. Yeah, it's a great story and a great little piece of video on him too. Yeah. If you could send that to me. I, I will. Think, I, I, will. I, 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 I will. Yeah, it's a really nice little video piece on him. Um, so now while at Kent State, your life began to head down a different path. How was your life impacted by that? Well, Kent State was a great experience. Um, as you mentioned uh, in the beginning, I, I was a really good high school athlete mm-hmm. in uh, wrestling as well as in football. And uh, I, I liked discipline. Even though um, I didn't make bad grades in school, I stayed on the, on the honor and merit roll. But I led a double life, and it was t- kind of typical from a, a kid from East Cleveland. Again, my mom was a single parent. She did the best that she could possibly do, and and she did a great job. But, you, you know, being influenced by outside things of the fancy cars, the girls, yeah. and the things that the, the street hustlers were doing, um, naturally, I wanted those things, and I knew that, you know, mom can't afford that, you yeah. know. 
And so I started doing the things that the street hustlers were doing. I started selling drugs. And I that carried over into my life when I went to Kent State, being a kid from East Cleveland. Yeah. And so while I was attending classes and things of that nature, I also was, uh, I was selling drugs at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I broke the cardinal sin of any street hustler or of any drug dealer, which was a don't get high on your own supply. Yeah. It piqued my interest as to, I was selling crack, you know, and I like to be very transparent and very frank when I, you yeah, know, well, you when are. I do these interviews. Yeah, you, you are. Know? You, but definitely when I'm in my, when I, everything that I read about you, you're very, very transparent. Right. So, you know, I started, I was selling crack and it, it really piqued my interest as to why people was, you know, selling their uh, mom's wedding rings and things of that nature and, and bringing me money to, for this drug. And just like any other uh, drug addict, uh, I said, let me try this. I know I'm smart enough. I won't get hooked on this stuff. Yeah. You know, and I'm always when I talk to people, they say, well, I can't believe my mom or my brother, you know, he did this. And I I explain nobody plans on (laughs) being an alcoholic. Nobody plans on being a drug addict. And, you know, as far as the alcoholism is concerned, it runs it runs in my family. Mm-hmm. alcoholism as well as drug addiction. And I do remember my mom, Wardell Willis again, giving me the wise words after I reached adulthood. And she just, you know, she noticed her son, you know, partying a little too much, you mm-hmm. know, because my family, we did party, you know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it, the party can't last forever. Right. And so she did warn me about the things that was in our bloodline. And, you know, I, again, I carried... I didn't. I can't even say it was a habit when I went to Kent, but it definitely became a habit after I got uh, what they say grown and gone. You yeah. know, I didn't have. I didn't. <laughs> right. I, I wasn't under. I didn't have to face my mother every day when I came home. So right. there was no buffering zone to say, "All right, let me chill," because so, I know I got. I know Mama. She go pretend like she sleep, but she ain't gonna be sleep. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just a dorm room or an apartment to come home to, and no one, no one to answer to. Right. And so I, I just took it too far, and, you know, g- genetically I got hooked, yeah. and I got hooked on the lifestyle as well. And yeah. uh, so there you have it. Uh, yeah. After a few years, I was a full-blown uh, dr- alcoholic as well as drug addict to yeah. the point that um, I had to move back home and to the point that I was severely homeless. And when a lot of people, when they say homeless, they that means I'm sleeping on my aunt's couch. Yeah. I wasn't that guy. I yeah. was the guy that was to the point of I was smoking the cigarette butts off the ground um, in front of Greyhound Station. I was the guy with a cup in his hand downtown. Wow. I was the guy that you rode past on 18th and Superior in 10-degree weather, and you see the steam coming up with the cardboard on top yeah, of when it. Yeah, when I read that, you know, it, it and it's so funny because— I remember seeing people sleeping on those steam grates. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a whole community out here of yes. I what I call the forgotten people. Yeah. You know, um I was a guy that was uh you know, disrespected in the streets because I had been disrespected myself, you know. Um human beings can be some some cruel cruel creatures and yeah. um, um through the things that I had allowed to happen to myself or done to myself, mm-hmm. I was the victim of, of all of that. And so um, I think one of the questions probably coming up was when was my bottom? And my bottom was, 
You know, I, yeah. I, I, I attribute America to being such a wasteful, and I thank America for being such a wasteful <laughs> country because I, I ate out of the dumpster on 30th and Carnegie for a few years of my life. You know, they yeah. threw so much chicken and, and other things away, yeah. you know, and um, that that was my bottom. Because, again, I mean, I, I came from good stock, yes. you know, even though my family had the typical problems that every other family have, like I, I wasn't abused as a kid and, and, and that type of thing. Like I, everything that that happened to me, I chose to, unfortunately, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to uh, go down the path that I did, but I did. Yeah. And uh, initially I was ashamed of it. And when I would go to my AA meetings and things of that nature, um, and I used to didn't tell my story, but now I make it a point. And I'm sorry, I get emotional. That's all right. That's all right. I know. Cause I listen, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but yeah, it was a video of you that I watched. I, I can't watch it without having some tissue in my hand. Okay. Cause you're, you wear, you know, you wear your feelings, your, your heart is right out there, right out there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's why it's important that I wear my heart on my sleeve yeah. because, uh, people have to know that they are not alone. Yeah. And I get a lot of kudos and, and accolades and things of that nature and I'm and I'm grateful for it. But I just want people to know I'm a regular guy like your friend, your brother, your uncle that's going through it. Yeah. And so if I could um use my story or my life to have someone be compassionate for that person, then then that's what I, I feel like I have to do. Yeah. Well you, you made a promise. Right. And what was that promise? Um, that that was the promise, you know. Um, after a few years of uh, being homeless, I uh, I kind of stumbled across uh, some financial aid to go to Barber College, and but prior to that, um, to put things in perspective, Barber School takes about a year to graduate from. Okay. It took me two and a half years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because my first part of Barber College, I was homeless. Like, I literally slept down the street uh, from uh, the school that I went to on 55th and Broadway. It's not there anymore. Okay. And I met my first sponsor in in, uh, in Barber's College. Mm. And, you know, game in the streets, it's the same game, recognized game. Yeah. And so he was in recovery. So... He's looking at me looking like a tore up alley cat laying down <laughs> sleep at the shampoo bowl in the back of the school. I'm I'm reeking of last night's episodes of me fighting or, you know, drinking all night, getting high all night, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess anybody could recognize it. And he got to talking to me about recovery and, and I was, you know, I was in denial at the time. Yeah. And so finally he he was able to, you know, get me into a, a drug and alcohol treatment shelter called Y Haven. And it's on, uh, I'm very familiar with it. I know where it is. Right. On, yeah. On uh six to 55th and, uh, down on Woodland. Woodland yes, yes. In the Carl Stokes building. Mm-hmm. And I'm shout out to Y Haven. I am forever, forever grateful for that place. It's a great program. It's a great it's program. It's a great program. You know, it, it, it works if you work it. That's yes. what we, that's what we say. And, uh, he got me in there and, uh, the lady gave me keys. It's like small apartments. Mm-hmm. And just the act of trusting me with keys. Like, that's a small thing to the average human being. You know, I got a pocket full of keys now. Right. But in those days, everybody took their keys from me. Yeah. And if they didn't take them, they was changing locks. Yeah. 
you know, because I was just out of control and couldn't be trusted. And so, I mean, I, I cried when this lady freely gave, gave me a place to live. I hadn't had a key to anything for some years. So that was big in and of itself. And I knew that the way that my life was going, that was probably my last shot. Like, if I did not make this work, that I would probably be dead. Yeah. Um, so I, I I ran a bath. It was just it was just a room, a bathroom, and a and a bedroom. <laughs> you yes. know, and, and to me, it was Nataj Mahal. Right. <laughs> right. And so I ran a bath, and I made the water as hot as I possibly could. And the dirt and the scum that came off of me, because you have to understand, I hadn't physically emerged my body in water. Again, another thing that we we take for granted yes. for years. You know, uh, it's a few places around the city that you can take a shower at, you know, like Bishop Cosgrove. Shout right. out to them. You can get a meal over there. You can right. take a shower over there. Right. But then I'm putting the same dirty clothes back on again, you know. Uh, so I hadn't immersed myself in water for some years. And I sat in that scolding hot water and, and bathed myself. And I just cried. And I cried. And I just asked God to please just release me from the demons of addiction the crack and the alcohol and if 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 I was to be released that I would spend the rest of my days doing the will of God and what whatever I possibly could to um help help God's people out. And and that was a promise that I made seventeen years ago, eleven one oh four. All right now. And um my life today is a testimony that I'm 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 fulfilling my promise because I don't want to go back to that space yes. or that place yes. ever again. Yeah, and you're doing just a fantastic, fantastic job. Fantastic job. Thank you. So now when did you open your barber shop? How many locations do you have? Because I did read that you were also opening a salon, too, in the hours, and hours that is open to the public in the days. Well, um, I opened my first one in, in May of um, 2008, and then I opened my—that's over on 111th in Detroit. It's Urban Cuts Barbershop. Yes. Um, I've passed by it, too. Your shop looks very inviting. I really want to come in there. Uh, come in and <laughs> Do say hi. Yeah. Um, my second location I opened in— um, August of 2013, and that's over on Pearl Road in the old Brooklyn neighborhood. Yeah, I passed by that one, too. It's a nice-looking yeah. spot. I, I had a stint with the salon, but I I couldn't get me and, and the ladies that I was working <laughs> there. It wasn't good chemistry, so I know when to throw my cards in. But I do, I do have the space rented out to a young lady that has a, a very vibrant salon that's going. So, you know. Awesome. Yeah, I knew when to say when with this line. <laughs> um, but I am uh, I have a third location that's opening up okay. um in June. Awesome. 
and that's over on 60th and Lorraine. Okay. Literally right across the street from the Michael J. Zone uh, Rec Center, okay. the, the basketball hoop. It's that's a wonderful. new building. So, yeah, life is going good, and I'm, and I'm also teaching. I got my instructor's license in 2013 as well. Okay. And so it was important to me to not give back um far as giving people a, a place to to do their craft and make money to take care of their families, but also teaching teaching it as right. well. And so I'm an instructor, and I'm the director of outreach at La Barberia Institute of Hair, which is Ohio's largest barber college. Okay. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna just I just want to make sure that we tell people what days you're open at your barbershop too and hours. Um, well, um, the days is seven days a week. Okay, now and the hours are nine to five forty five. You can you can three hundred and sixty five days a year. Okay, now the hours might differ obviously on on holidays, but we're open. 365. That's awesome. That is awesome. Now, you are recognized as perhaps the first barbershop globally to accept Bitcoin. Why did you make that decision? Well, years ago when Bitcoin was, uh, you know, on the rise, I was hearing about it. And and to this day, for the record, please don't ask me to explain Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Because I can't. But but we do have someone here who can. Right. (laughs) Right. Even if he explained it to me, I probably still wouldn't. Yeah, he's sitting out here. You'll get a chance to meet him. He can explain it. Right. (laughs) Right. So the thing is, as it was coming on the rise, um, Bernie Marino and, and Mayor Jackson, who are, you know, I'm pretty close with the two of them, and Dr. Boutros from Metro Hospital, Three people that, you know, I've had the honor to just have small, intimate conversations with and just learn from. Um, and, a, and a lot of other people in Cleveland, they were trying to make a big push to get Cleveland or Cuyahoga County to embrace cryptocurrency. And so they had a conference. And at the conference, I sat up front and they were saying a whole lot of technical jargon that <laughs> I had no idea what they were talking about. And I can tell from the questions from the audience, everybody in the room knew what was going on except for me. (laughs) And so me being the inquisitive person that I am, I just stood up and said, look, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And I'm a citizen in this city and in this county. I'm a regular dude. I'm not a tech guy at all. I'm a barber. Why should I embrace this? And it was like a real awkward silence in the room (laughs) and like Bernie was like he's right (laughs) in order for this to work like we have to put this in layman's term in order for the city to embrace it and after that and and prior to the conference out you know my target demographic is is the millennials and the gen z population the professionals for a few different reasons number one they make enough money that they can get get a uh, a haircut on a regular basis. Right. Number two, they are not going to complain when my prices go up, and they are going to go up. <laughs> and then number three, these this is the generation that's going to go out to their car, take a selfie, and promote me and my business yeah. through social media. Yeah. So that's free advertising. Yeah, and so having right. conversations with them, 
about it. You know, some could explain it better than others, but they all unanimously thought it would be cool if I accepted cryptocurrency. And so I did my due diligence and I just opened up a Coinbase account and I just started taking cryptocurrency and like the the crypto world went crazy. Yeah, it really like blew up. Right. Like <laughs> right. I, I I got like international exposure. I had people from like the Middle East calling me for interviews over in like Britain and wow. I'm like what? <laughs> you know, and, and to this day I still have a few people they they pay me in crypto and I just leave the money in my in my um in my wallet and you know, okay. I just watch it and it's growing and so yeah, but that was another way for me to expand my horizons and you know, expand my personal brand and kind of what I teach my students at the school is, you know, it's barbershops all over the place, but what are you going to de- do that's unique? Yes. You know, and that was just another small, well, to me, small thing, but to a certain demographic of people that thought it was a big deal. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, so that's, that's pretty much the story in a nutshell. I, wow. I was a I was a big mouth at a conference. <laughs> but, you, but you asked the right question. Right. And after yes, the conference, yes. like yes. Cleveland.com and other, like, news outlets just rushed me. Like, yeah. I guess, you know, I had a point. Yeah, you did. You did, because I can tell you, I still don't understand what it is. But hey, you know, it's 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 a new wave of currency, right? And a lot of people are buying into it, right? And I mean, people have different different uh, opinions about it. I still believe that it's it's you know, I'm I'm not saying it's going to be the end all to be all, but it definitely has a future um, in the world. Yeah, so. it's, it's definitely got its place. Yeah. So now tell us about when we can we can get to the La Barbaria Hair Institute. Tell us about the institute. And how students can um, access to, you know, get involved if they're interested in going to barber school. Well, La Barbaria, um, it's at 1633 Golden Gate Plaza. lady named Laura Clemente owns it. She's a barber. Started off in a small barber shop in Little Italy. And it just, you know, the American dream type of deal. It just grew. And after I got my instructor license, I um, my goal, again, was to just pour back into the next generation of barbers. Mm-hmm. And so I've always enjoyed working for myself, being my own boss. And so I kind of toured around the state doing classes um, at all the barber colleges in the state. And all of the all of the owners and directors of education, they all wanted me to join join in on a team. But again, I, I always was a free spirit that enjoyed doing my own thing. I joke and tell people I, I'm unemployable because <laughs> I'm just used to working for myself. But what drew me to La Barbaria was um, I do a lot, lot, lot of community work far as um, c- cutting hair. Mm-hmm. It's just my opinion that whatever gift that God has given you, I think that if you use that gift to take care of yourself your family, I think that since the gift was freely given, that you should use that gift. You should give that gift away periodically. Yes. And um, and again, it's still the promise that I'm keeping as well. But I, I do a lot of charity work. I've been going down to the Juvenile Detention Center on 93rd and Quincy for years, yeah. uh, every other week. And La Barbaria, used to graciously allow me to take their students down. So, you know, the more manpower I got, the more hair I can cut. And when I do take people down there, uh, my students especially, I always want to catch them while they're still students so they can know that it's not always about a dollar. And I tell them every time before we go back, 
beyond the metal detectors and the clinging of the doors and stuff like that, I tell them we're not really here to cut hair. We are here to plant seeds. And we are here to encourage these young people and let them know that this does not have to be your life. So um, it's important. So La Barbaria, you know, long story short, they let me do, they had always let me borrow students. And so I really liked that. And they, again, was one of the schools that was kind of after me to come on board. And so I do commit to them two days out of my week. And I think it it's definitely uh, was worth it because I get to engage with the next generation of barbers. And I think that um, the industry in years past has kind of went down, in my opinion. And I know, again, me standing on the shoulders of, of uh, Mr. Herndon, you know, yes. if you look back at old barber pictures, mm-hmm. all of those guys had on ties. Yes, they did. All of those guys carried themselves in a professional way. Yes, they did. And, you know, in years past, I would walk in barbershops, and it was just, to be quite frank, uh, ghetto environments. Yeah. And I just didn't think that it represented the barber industry that I aspired it to be mm-hmm. and, and me as a barber. So I'm not much of a complainer. I'm a doer. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to start planting my seed. And, you know, one of my mantras is ex- excellence is the only option. Yes. Period. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Period, period, that, that, period. That is correct. Well, just in my own family background, my grandmother graduated from Madam C.J. Walker's school. Oh, wow. So I have my grandmother's original business plan. Oh. I have um, all of my grandmother's certificates. And then my grandmother had a barber college and beauty school in Birmingham, Alabama from the 1920s to the 1940s. Wow. Then my mom graduated from her own mother's school, came here in the 19... My, dad, my mom and dad came from Birmingham, lived on Empire in Glenville from 1941 to 1960. But my mom had a beauty salon on 93rd and Yale called Maddie's Beauty Nook oh, wow. from 1947 to 1957. Mm. So it, my mother used to always say, you know, when when times are hard, people still want to look good. They and they're still, still going to get their hair done. <laughs> they're still going right. to get their hair cut. Yeah, you know? this, this is a, a recession-proof industry. <laughs> That's, my mother used to say that all the time. I, I say, now, man, I really kind of wish I had followed in my mother's footsteps and got that, you know, got that... Uh, background in that training to be a hairstylist Mm -hmm. because it is true. It's very, very true. Yeah, and I mean, just again, going back to um, what the old folks say, you got to have more than uh, one iron fire. fire. Or or the new thing is you're going to have multiple streams of income. Right. Even if, when I talk to young people, and even if barbering isn't your thing, you still got to pay bills. Yes. You know, so until you find your thing, go to truck driving school. Not everybody is college material, and I do recognize that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite honestly, to, in today's society, looking at uh, college debt and things of that nature, uh, trade schools are looking a lot more attractive, in my opinion. Well, we definitely need we need everybody and every—our students, our, our children need to be exposed to everything. Everything. Everything, everything educationally. Right. And you know? even—but, you know, even if you're going to college, I mean, when I did, at my time, I can't— um, I spent many days in that bathroom, you know, cutting hair, you know, and that was some of my little income too. You know what I'm saying? So it's always have good to have something to fall back on. And I mean, if, if the corporation dry up or if, if you and the boss don't get along, 
you still have something that you can bring some money in. You can still, you, know, you can, you can still drive, you can drive that truck. Right. You can use that tow motor certification. You can yes. use that welding license, especially yes. now. I've been trying to do as many podcasts as I can to tell people, look, man, these companies are, they don't really want to give you $25 an hour right now, but they're yes. short on manpower and they need you. They, yes. you know, they're, they're begging people to go to truck driving school. They're begging people to come get their welding certification. Yes. Otherwise, are. you would be paying for it. So let's take advantage of it right now. I, I agree. I think that's so important. So now, what are some of the programs that have been provided by Urban Cuts? Because you've done a lot of really wonderful things in that barbershop. Okay. Um, some of the programs provided by Urban Cuts. Whenever I do anything charitable, I have it at Urban Cuts, but it's ran through my nonprofit, the Urban Barber Association, yes. which uh, Neighborhood Connections and a few other um, funders have been very gracious to me over the years. But one that I'm most known for is my um, blood pressure program. Yes. And that just came about by chance because, um, you know, I'm a big guy. And again, I, I try to be transparent with everything I'm going through in life because I'm not the only one going through this. Right. And in in recovery, we have a saying, and that is a problem shared is cut in half. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going through something and it's messing my day up, I mean, I need, I need you know, sometimes I can be my worst enemy. So I need somebody else's input. And that's, I'm taking advantage again of the platform of the barbershop. Mm-hmm. It's a trusted environment. And so I noticed years ago that some of my clients would, you know, not be around anymore. So I'm trying to figure out, did I, did I mess his hair up? Did I say something wrong? So I would run into a wife, a daughter, a son, a family member at the neighborhood grocery store. And I say, hey, what, what happened to him? And, you know, they would tell me, and this was on more than one occasion, mm. uh, you know, he passed away. You know, I, I just couldn't get him to take his blood pressure medicine. Or I just couldn't get him to stop uh, using so much salt. Mm. You know, and I and I took that personal because I know that I saw this dude once a week, once every other week yeah. or, or once a month. And I know if I'd have said, man, have you been taking your blood pressure medicine? Yes. And if they know they had me to deal with every Friday, you know, and it started working, you know, just having those conversations. You know, I, I, I battle with weight. Um, the majority of my life, I, and I, my family got the, the, the traditional things that a black family goes through, diabetes, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. You know, the list goes on, unfortunately. And so I started taking it upon myself just to start having these conversations. And then I would just contact, like, a, a friend of mine that that's a nurse and have her come in on her off day and just take blood pressure. And it's like 9 out of 10 of the people who blood pressure, she would take, number one, had no idea that they had they had high blood wow. pressure and didn't know it. Wow. Number two, they have no idea what's a good blood pressure versus what's a bad blood pressure. Right. So I just started, you know, putting pencil to paper and implementing a plan. And I reached out to Cleveland Clinic and Metro and University Hospital, as well as uh, Cleveland State's med program. And so I started having healthcare professionals or students come in on a regular basis and just started checking blood pressure. That's great. And it was the same results. Nine out of 10 people, well, not maybe not that high, but a lot of people, the majority of people whose blood pressure was taken did not know that they had high blood pressure. The majority 
didn't know what was a good blood pressure versus a bad pro- blood pressure program. So the the optimal two two goals was to um, with four goals: screen them, educate them, and refer them. Right. And the the fourth one was to get them um, together to form a relationship with the physician that they will see on an ongoing basis. That is awesome. And a lot of people had roadblocks. One of, one of the major ones was insurance. So now I'm contacting organizations like um, Care Alliance, things of like yes, that, yeah. that would have programs in line that you don't need. Need insurance um, at Care you Alliance. You don't need insurance. Yeah. No excuses. No yeah. excuses. No excuses. Yeah. Period. And so um, then I started reaching out. I'm now I'm starting to see see improvements. And and so now with the blood pressure conversations, now we're talking about diabetes. Now we're talking about, you know, the stresses of cancer and things, stroke, heart attack. Yeah. And so I'm now the my proudest moments is when it's a Saturday morning and the shop is full of people and we're talking and we're laughing. And I mean, I'm not just go barrage you with, with, with a certain <laughs> demographic conversation because right. it's a barbershop. We right. go talk we go talk about the Browns. We right. go talk about the Cavs. <laughs> right. You know, that that's gonna happen. But I just also want to just slide that in there right. um, strategically. And so my proudest moments is when we all in there we're talking and you know we got all these men and we're just discussing uh vegetarian lasagna recipes <laughs> or a, a new yoga stance that we just learned. You know what I'm saying? Right. Those right. are my proudest moments. Not, right, right. Not when the Cavs won the championship. Right. You know, because right. the Cavs going to be okay. Right. We got to make sure we're okay. Exactly. And so then I, I started talking to other shop owners saying, you know, we could be on to something. Yeah. And so – um. They started doing some of the programming as well. And far as, you know, um, the funding that we, Neighborhood Connections has funded um, lots of those initiatives. Yeah. And so you, so, so actually what I want to do is perhaps jump ahead and I'm going to get back to some of the other, get back to in one question, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because. Okay. So in 2006, you founded the Urban Barber Association. What is the mission of the organization? And also for 21, 2021, 2022, you received a grant from Neighborhood Connections. So tell us about the association, their mission, and how will this most recent grant help your mission? Again, like you said, the Urban Barber Association was actually founded when I was in Whitehaven, when I was in the homeless shelter. You know, I was in there from um, 04 to 06, and along with writing my business plan for Urban Cuts Barbershop, um, I knew that I wanted my barbershop. Again, I tell my students, "What are you going? What are you going to do that's going to be different?" Yeah. And so I knew that I wanted my my barbershop to be like a community center. That the the the, the mantra is it's it's a community center that you just so happen can can get a haircut at. <laughs> and so I knew I wanted to do community based initiatives um, with 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 my barbershops. So um, that's what I did. So I I. Went back and forth, did my research, and, you know, I was cutting hair. Um, technically, in a, in that environment, you can't charge. So I was taking donations mm-hmm. of whatever the guys would give me, and I spent all that money, and I um, sent the government some money, and, you know, I, I got the Urban Barber Association founded. Awesome. 
And um, so fast forward to, to um, this year, uh, again, Neighborhood Connections has um, helped me out with many uh, initiatives over the years. And this year, um, we're going to get, they gave me some funding and we're going to kind of get new blood pressure cups. You know, COVID really threw a whole lot of yes. stuff out, out of, you know, yeah. outside of barbershops, period, barbershops and salons getting shut down, period. You know, even when we were allowed to open, you know, people don't want you touching on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. they just trying to come in, get a haircut. <laughs> right, and bounce. Man, I don't want right. to discuss no recipes, <laughs> right. the Browns, the Cavs, right. or the Indians, right. or the Guardians. Right. I am out of here. Right. Thank you. And where's the sanitizer at on my right. way out? Exactly. So, so now you know, it, you know, people are starting to let their guard down a little bit. We, you know, a lot of us have gotten vaccinated. Yeah. So, I, I want to start slowly initiating, you know, my blood pressure program back into play, and uh, the neighborhood connections, uh, the funding is going to go for some of that. I'm gonna try to get all new blood pressure cuffs, and you know, get my literature, and, and you know, start start all over, and. You know, I'm going to use it to kind of bring the barbers, the, the owners together, do some, you know, a few of my own internal workshops on how can we start having these conversations again, just to start, you know, helping our community out. Um, it's a few other things. I, I got a program that a lot of people in, in disenfranchised neighborhoods, they have felony backgrounds. And so um, years past, I have comprised a list of really good companies that um, hire people with a felony background. I got to do some research and, and I'm going to use some funds for that to revamp that list because some of the businesses went out of business yeah. and, you know, that type of deal or or maybe they don't hire felons anymore. So I have to revamp that. Just I, it, it, The funds is going to be used to take a deep dive back into the community to start helping our people out. And the um, our, our mantra is... Um, uh, empowering uh, communities through networking and education because the barbershop aspect, that's the networking aspect. And part of the, the networking is just, again, sliding that blood pressure uh, <laughs> conversation right. in with the calves conversation. Right, right. You know, or, you know, just when a person is sitting in your chair and, and they excessively sweat, you know, and yeah. it's, 40 degrees outside. Why are you sweating, bro? You didn't, you just walked from the car to the door. Right. You know, some of them are signs. Or when a person comes in, every time they come in, they, before they sit in the chair, they got to go, they got to go pee. Yeah. You know, stuff like that is signs and you have to recognize that. Right. Those are conversation starters. Right. You're, you're, you're saving lives and you're, in, you're educating people. Right. Which is awesome. But I also, too, want you to talk about your literacy program and the books, the library that you have in your barbershop for right. fa for fathers and sons to come in and read while right. they're waiting on a haircut. Right. Uh, and, and again, um, it's not just in uh, Urban Cuts. It's in several shops around the city. Yeah. And I That's partnered true. with another um, amazing um, person and a nonprofit. Her name is uh, Krishandra Matthews. And her nonprofit is called Literacy in the Hood. Yeah, I, I would definitely want to connect with her because yeah. I've, I've kept up with her too. Yeah, you need to. Yeah. But uh, our program is called the I Read, I Lead program. And uh, the mantra of that is, I, real, I will outread you, therefore I will outlead you. <laughs> and, you know. Not when knowledge is power. Right, exactly, exactly. So um, 
we noticed how much of a busybody Cassandra and Literacy in the Hood is. So, you know, we know when, you know, we could harness our own, our, use our powers and harness that energy that we both had. And so with her using my network of barbershops, you know, I connected her with, with other barbershop owners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, next thing you know, we're popping up on barbershops. We're supplying the bookshelf as well as the books. And the great. goal of that is it's a twofold goal, obviously, is to promote um, child literacy. But, you know, the kids that are, are used to coming to the shop, now they come and make a beeline straight for the bookshelf. You know, they make a beeline straight for the bookshelf and either the child reads to the parent or the or vice versa. And when a kid gets in the chair, you know, you need to tell me what, what the book was about. Okay, now. You know, and they mm-hmm. might, you know, depending on how impressive they are, they might get a free haircut. They might get a treat <laughs> at the end. But yeah. it's also to stop them from running rampant through the barbershop, <laughs> tearing everything apart, too. So, yeah. <laughs> so now, tell us about your own health and wellness journey, how the minority men's health fair impacted your life, and the importance of men and boys to definitely make sure they get health care checkups. Well, yeah, the Minority Men's Health Fair, I'm, I'm always going to be a champion for that. Um, yeah, and, I'm a big fan, too, of Dr. Marlis, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, um, over, like I said a moment ago, over the years, you know, I got the, the problems like any other black man or, you know, my family as well. We've always, uh, a lot of us in my family, uh, obesity was a challenge. And, and, you know, food has definitely been um, one of my issues that I still battle until today. Um uh, as far as the minority men's health fair, um, through my blood pressure programs, you know, I have to um, not just talk it, I have to walk it. So I have always been the type of guy that would go to the doctor on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was six years ago now, six or seven years ago now, I found out through the minority men's health fair that I had kidney cancer. Wow resulting in me having to get my right kidney removed. But this is how God works. You know, um, again, I go to the doctor on a regular basis. The, the particular year I found out, I was going to go to the minority men's health fair, but I was just going to kind of hang out with Dr. Modlin, you know, yeah. and just kind of help out the staff type of deal. But everybody was busy. Dr. Modlin was busy doing interviews, you know, shaking hands and stuff. Yeah. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm here. I might as well get screened. So I did the regular screening, including um, giving a urine sample. And um, the lady came out, the nurse came out a few minutes later after, you know, putting it in the micro- under a microscope. And she said, you have microscopic traces of blood in your urine. And we suggest you do a follow-up checkup. It's probably not a big deal. That was a Thursday, as the Minority Men's Fair, Health Fair is always on a Thursday. Right. That following Monday, I was, uh, I've scheduled an appointment. I went down. I did more extensive tests. That was Monday morning. Monday uh, afternoon, I get a call. And the doctor on the phone says, um, you have a uh, large growth on your right kidney, and we're going to have to remove it. And I started laughing at that. I literally busted out laughing because I'm thinking someone's playing a very bad practical joke on <laughs> right, me. Right, because this is right. Right, and it was just crickets on the other side of the phone. Right. And I'm like, he's like, no, I'm, I'm very serious. 
And I'm like, who is this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Now I'm mad because you're playing this joke on me. Right. And so I, they said, you know, I suggest you get a follow-up. And so I went down to the clinic. I grabbed my x-rays. And at the time, I was going to another hospital. Mm-hmm. So I took the x-rays to my doctor mm-hmm. at the hospital that I was going to. And uh, he saw I was very angry, mm-hmm. and he put he put the, um, the the X-rays up on the light, and he said, "Yeah." Uh, to to back up, I asked the doctor on the phone. I said, "Am I going to have to get the kidney or the mass removed?" And he said, "Both." Wow. Okay. Fast forward to my doctor. He said, "Yeah, you gonna have to get your whole kidney removed." And. I said, well, look up, look up, go on the computer and look up. You know, when was the last time I had a urine screen? And it was about a year prior, and which is normal. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's good time. He said, you had it about a year ago, and it was no traces of blood or nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can see, and he said, you know, I can see that you're very angry right now, but I, I, I got to explain this to you. He said, we could have 100 men in this room right now that we definitely know have kidney cancer. And maybe, maybe five of them will have microscopic traces of blood in their urine prompting us to do an extensive test. So really what I'm telling you is there are no symptoms for kidney cancer. Yes. And I was just floored. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't have to have those traces of blood. And I mean, I felt absolutely fine. Yeah. And um, the 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 mass that was on my kidney, it was like uh, like tennis ball size mass. Again, wow. I felt, and I, and I asked Doctor Mylan like, what would have happened? And he said, well, it it would have choked your kidney. You know, put it in layman's term, it would have choked your kidney out, and it would have spread, and you would have died. Wow. And so, you know, from from before that, I was a champion for the minority men's health fair, but like the health fair, literally. Saved your life. life. <laughs> Literally saved your life. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Literally so. saved your life. Yeah, I, I volunteered when you I, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Modlin. Huge. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I encourage all men um to get screened, get educated, and get yourself to a physician. And it's just unfortunate that the numbers specifically in the black community are so low. Yes. So now I'm also working on um with the clinic and a few other entities. Um, also, let me, I can't say, uh, I also work with the American Heart Association with my blood pressure program. I can't leave them out. Yes. Um, but I'm working on an initiative now with the, uh, Case Comprehensive Cancer Board, mm-hmm. uh, Cancer Research Board, and we got, we're doing some prostate research work as well as Cleveland Clinic and a few other entities because we're trying to get some, um, prostate cancer conversations going inside the barbershop because, yeah. Um, black men are twice as likely to to die from it, and I I forget the the numbers uh, of of us. It's very low of us going to get uh, checked out for a myriad of reasons, which you know there is no reason, in my opinion, to not get checked out. Exactly. Period. Exactly. Well, I'm you're 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 a wonderful advocate for that. Because I know when my when my father's deceased now, but I had a very difficult time getting my father yeah. to follow up on some um, some appointments that I had made for him. I would make appointments, and then he would go behind me and cancel them. Yeah. So like, I you know gotta, what you're talking about. Some people, about. you got to literally take by the hand, yeah. stuff them in the car. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
and and take and take them. But if that if that's what you got to do, do, then that's, that's what you, what you got to do. do. Exactly. Recently, you were on the Nick Cannon show. Yes. And um, how did that feel to share your journey nationally? And have people reached out to you uh, since that appearance? And I will encourage our listeners to actually go online and pull up a, the clip of your interview. It is just so wonderful. And I will say, have some tissue. Because <laughs> every time I watched it to research your, or for our conversation, I needed some tissue. Yeah. So, you know. um, it was a great, great experience on the Nick Cannon show. Um, and, and to answer your question, a lot of people have reached out uh, to me after the show and continue to reach out to me now. A lot yeah. of people are really struggling. Yeah. And that's why I made a point at the beginning of this uh, interview to say, I, I aspire <laughs> to be the guy that everyone thinks I am. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like, right. I'm not Superman. I'm a regular, I'm a regular dude, Yeah, you know? And I have problems. I have issues. Uh, through God's grace, I have overcame a lot of problems and a lot of issues, and I'm still fighting to overcome others. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm just a normal human being, and I always want to um, stand firm in that, you know. Yeah. And so I was really touched that so many people um, reached out to me via social media, and most of them was like, Wow, you really responded. <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. I mean, I was, sometimes people don't, you know. Right. Yeah. I, I really I really was taking the time to because I know there's a lot of people that was doing going through some mental issues, mental problems, uh, as well as addiction problems. And I just didn't want to give them a cookie cutter answer. So I was yeah. really having serious conversations yeah. to, to let these people know that, you know, you are not in this fight alone. You can do it. Yeah. And so um, uh, Nick Cannon's show definitely helped to me to basically fulfill fulfill that promise. And, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for Nick Cannon. I had, you know, uh, big, I call it big TV. Big TV moves really fast. Yeah. But I did have a few moments to talk along with, with Nick Cannon. That's wonderful. And, you know. Yeah, I, li- I like his show, and I just want to remind everybody that you received the Big Heart Award. Right. So where do you have that Where do you have that award sitting at? I, I, I have that <laughs> at home on my uh, on my mantle. That's awesome. Yeah, That's I great, got the great. Big Heart Award. Yeah. And uh, it was funny how um, I got found because, you know, I'm, on my regular Instagram post, you know, a lot of the barbers, well, all barbers I know, they put pictures of haircuts and stuff on their barber yeah. Instagram page and their social media pages. I don't have none. I don't have, I very rarely put a picture of a haircut up or something like that. Yeah. Um, because I'm pretty fortunate. I have a very good clientele. Yeah. But I chose to use my personal pages for do, for my philanthropic and my charitable and my my volunteer work. Yeah. And so a young lady just out the blue uh, contacted me saying, I'm a producer for Nick Cannon's show. Are you interested in being on the show? And so it's so many scams and stuff going on. Yeah, you got to be sure. Yeah, right. I, was, <laughs> I was actually kind of rude to her like, yeah, right. And <laughs> right. How much money do you want for this? You right. know, Not right. that I was going to give her anything. She's right. like, uh, no. And so I went through her page and I'm like, oh, my God. So I went back and apologized <laughs> to her like, yo, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
And so she got me on the show. And, yeah. and, and again, you know, the, the very few minutes I got to talk with Nick Cannon, you know, you think that a person worth $40 million would be kind of like rude and snippy. Yes. Nope. No, he's, yeah. a, he's the same. He was the same young man. He, he impresses me as that, yeah, too. And he told me, man, you have an incredible story. And he's like, you really need to... He said you need to write a book, which, you know, that's something that I'm kind of working on. I don't know. I've been dragging my feet on that, but I, I am working on working on putting putting more details of my life in, in book form. Yeah. But uh, he was very encouraging and told me to just keep doing my thing. Yes, yes. I, I, I like his show. It's, he's been canceled, though. It's yep. going to be gone. But yep. I do love the Nick Cannon show. Yeah. And uh, it, was a, it was a really great interview. Mm-hmm. A wonderful, wonderful setup. Yeah. Wonderful setup. Now, um, we, you touched on a little bit, but just look, kind of let's go back to mental health. Let's talk about the fact that your barbershop has become a safe space you know, for men to come in and talk about those issues and their right. concerns. Right. Well, I, again, I, I, I wanted to make sure that my barbershop is a space that, you know, we can not just cover your hair. You know, we want to cover the complete person. Right. And, you know, as men, as as people, we go through things in life. So um, I made sure that it, it's a non-judgmental zone, uh, zone. Right. And, you know— a lot of times people ask, well, how do you how do you how do you get these conversations going? And I get the conversations going by sharing me. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people they won't talk unless they know that you have been in the fire too. Right. So that's why again, what that's why I'm so transparent when I come out and, and do these interviews to let them know, like, wow, <laughs> he's been through it too, you know, or or something like that. And so um, mental health is has been something that um, has been gaining ground, fortunately, in, in, in the past few years. And I just felt like, you know, we had already been having the conversations on, you know, just mm-hmm. general life stuff. You yes. know, what, what we're going through, the, the, heavy, the heavy load that we all carry. Yes. You know, and so it's important to me just to double down on that. And, you know, when I'm meeting with, with the barbers at Urban Cuts, you know, say, hey, make sure. And it's, it's no script because it has to be authentic as possible. Right for a person to really um, walk away with something tangible. So whatever it is you're going through, just go, just say something personal about yourself, your kids, your wife, your girl, uh, or lack thereof, whatever, you know, and let's have some conver- some conversation outside of the, you know, the regular barbershop banter. Yeah. And so, you know, and when I meet back with my guys, they're like, yo, man, we are really planting seeds and, and changing lives by creating an authentic barbershop atmosphere. Nobody, you know, you don't you don't have to put on airs when you're in the shop. Just like uh, Cedric the Entertainer said on on the barbershop, the the movie. You know, it, it, it's it's a black man's country club. Yeah, you know, we can't afford to you know go sit in and and coincidentally I. I just left the union club with one of my colleagues and I'm looking around like, wow. But, yeah. you know, everybody are not, it's not a for, as fortunate to, to be in places like that. So we have to take advantage of not only that safe space, but the personalities and the energy that we put around us. And I always want to put positive energy 
in every space that I'm in or that I'm affiliated with. Yes. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I could not agree with you more. So now I'm going to combine a question to you again. Mm-hmm. So what words of what words of wisdom and advice do you have for uh, someone who's interested in opening their own barbershop and what words of wisdom do you have for youth and young adults who are facing some challenges and they're looking for a career path? Okay. Um, the first one for the person that's interested in opening up a barbershop, um, and when I tell this to young people, they look at me crazy. <laughs> Go give it away. Um, I'm here today, and my platform that I've built today I mean, I could have just stayed in the barbershop and, you know, just cut hair and I would have just been in the barbershop down the street. But when I started giving away haircuts at the the school around the corner, the daycare around the corner, yes. the nursing home down the street, right? That's when, that's when my platform started to build. And when your platform builds, it equates to dollars. Right. Because people will say, hey, man. You came to cut my granddad's hair at the nurse's home down the street, and they told me about it. So now I want to bring myself and my four sons yeah. to your barbershop. Yeah, that's right. So from one free haircut, I get four new clients a week. Yes. Whatever your passion is, give it away. And, and again, that's just back on my, 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 um, my assertion is if you got something that you God has given you a gift, you should give it away. So give it away first, and I guarantee you your your horizon will start to grow. Your platform will start to grow. That's very true. Mm-hmm. And for the young person that's going through something, please reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out, you know. Um, I'm not always at my shop, but when I'm there, whatever, if, if it's that important, I'll stop what I'm doing. And I have voluntold um, the guys that work with me to do the same. Yes. Not volunteer, voluntold. Yes, <laughs> right. I know. I like that. Right. Because <laughs> right. this is important. <laughs> right. You know, um, right. I deal with a lot of young people, and a lot of times they think that their situation is unique, and and I'm sure it, it is to them, but all of us in some way, shape, form, or fashion have been through what they are going through. Not all of us, but some of us. Yeah. And I can guarantee you, if you come to me or my people, I might not have all the answers. That's not guaranteed, but what I do have is 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 an ear and a shoulder. Right. And I can also guarantee you, if I can't give you the answer or... I can definitely give you a resource. Right, exactly. You I know, know somebody who knows somebody. Right. So <laughs> so so use your resources. Yes. When when my kids come to me and they got an issue, I say, Well, who's in your resource base? Let let's let's see. Cause we especially if you're a barber, we know some of everybody. Some of everybody. everybody. Right. If you need a mechanic, you need yeah. a, a person to to do contracting. If you need, you're looking for a car for your 16-year-old, we know a little bit of everybody. Yeah. So use your barber uh, as your resource. Yeah. Or or the guy that owns the, the store down the street. We we have resources, but it's like sometimes we don't know that we have that network to tap into. So, uh, and it's really important that the young people just know that you are not alone. Um, we used to have a saying, uh, the, the, the game don't change. It's just the players that change. Yes. So, you know, we went through girl problems, you know. 
the females, every girl problems, boy problems, relationships with teachers, all of that stuff, parent problems, just again, a problem shared is cut in half. Yes. And and when you were talking about resources, it made me think about I used to hang out with my dad on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Daddy would go shopping and then we would always end up we would stop at Mr. Roberts' bicycle shop over on Cedar because mm-hmm. Mr. Roberts and my dad came from Birmingham with school together. Mm-hmm. And then we would end up at Sonny's Barbershop on Central. Uh-huh. And Sonny's Barbershop on Central was kind of legendary. Mm-hmm. And I was probably one of the few little girls in the barbershop hanging out with my dad. But you, could, you everybody came through the barbershop. That's right. All the resources came through the barbershop. That's right. My daddy bought the TVs for our house from yep. the barbershop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. You know, so that, everybody, that's right. Everybody came through the barbershop with something, you know. It's, it's a resource. It's a resource. Spot. You know, so use the people that you have in your life because, and, and you know, we, we do care. Sometimes as adults, we can get so locked in on life that, you know, it it seem like we, we're not caring, but that's not the case. We yeah. do care. And that's our fault because we do have to sometimes slow down to acknowledge the young people in our lives. Yeah. And then to, to the adults, everybody, whether you have children or not, Grab at least one person yes. and sow some type of seed into them. That's right. Tell them you're proud of them just because. Yes, I, that is one of my phrases. I do tell people that I'm proud of them. Even right. when I've just met, I'm proud of you. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And we just met today. Right. And, I, and that <laughs> don't cost you nothing. nothing. And it costed you less than 30 yeah. seconds of your time. But you know what I've, what I've discovered in doing, and I'm very intentional about that, mm-hmm. is just the look that on that person's faces when you when a face when you say those those words I am proud of you those right. five words yep. makes a huge difference right. and I don't care if you're like I said through my experiences with my parents and and all the things that I've experienced I said I'm just I'm just as comfortable with winos and CEOs That's okay right. That's and right. I tell people I'm proud of you yeah. and it makes it and it makes a difference it does make it a really difference, really does you know so just take the time to do something for a young person because they need us and and with this generation of of Social media and technology is a blessing and a curse, in my opinion. Yeah. Because social media has made let people less socialized. That's true. So it's it's a it's an interesting um, dynamic. Dynamic. <laughs> it really is for a person that's not in that world or immersed in that world as they are to to navigate. Yeah. And we are the adults, so we have to figure it out. Yes. So. So now, how did you develop your signature phrase? Have a great day on purpose. Have a great day on purpose is because that's me putting the energy out. I always tell people I don't have bad days. I have bad moments in those days. And I want to be intentional when I rise up in the morning. And again, I mean, everything is not rainbows and butterflies for me. You know what I'm saying? But I just want to make my mindset to purposely make the day a good day and a lot of that i tell people and, and all of my a lot of my saying and thought process and feelings is thank god it's based out of recovery yeah. and we got something called and recovery is called get get outside yourself and get outside yourself is i'm going through something that's my signal to go help somebody else yeah now a person that's immersed in recovery, it makes great sense. Now, when I'm explaining that to other people, they like, that don't make no sense at all. But what it does is it, it takes my mind 
off of the the negative energy that, you know, maybe I got an extensive bill or my car didn't broke down or something. You know, it takes my mind and that energy and I'm putting that, that I'm using that positive energy to help somebody else. And to me, it, it puts my world, my universe back in sync. You know, even though, you know, my car still broke down, right. but I'm letting the world know I'm not worried about that. Right. You know, this person needs my help. I'm letting the universe know my car is going to get fixed, and eventually it does. Yes. You know, but at the same time, my car ended up getting fixed, and I helped somebody else. Yes. You know, so I'm going to have a good day on purpose. Mean, you have a good day on purpose. Mean, take that wheel. And put the positive energy out there. Just, you know, and I'm not into like astronomy and all that. I'm just in, I just, I'm trying to be more and more in tune with the universe. And I and I used to think like positive thoughts and all that. I used to think it was a bunch of hooey, but it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's not. not. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's not. not. It's not. It is not. You know, and if I, you know, if I can get people to buy into it and most importantly try it, you'll see. Yeah. It's not a bunch of hogwash. It's really true. Yes, it is for real. Yeah. <laughs> it is for real. So, yeah, we all got to just practice and and it takes practice. No, it, to, it does. To have a good day on purpose, it takes practice. Yes. You have to wake up intentionally. Yep, intentionally. In a positive space. Yep. And continue that throughout your day. That's right. You really do. Mm-hmm. So now, how can people contact you for the Barber Services, the La Barberia Institute of Hair, for community or community engagement services, or for speaking engagements? I'm so easy. Um, Waverly Willis at gmail.com. <laughs> it can't be no simpler than that. And, you know, just, um, or you can call me, 216-245-8822. Um, give me a minute, though, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, we're all over the place. Yeah. And um, and I, I, I enjoy, I, I call it beautiful chaos. I enjoy the beautiful chaos, you know, and if I don't get back to you, Charge it to my head and not my heart. I um I I'm working on it, but I am not the most organized. Just me and you getting together today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I apologize, but no, you were you were good. You were good. Yeah, we we made it happen. You, you know good. you know what I'm saying? You're but good. you know I I might not email you within 24. You know I'm not going to be those one of those people that say give me give me 24 hours. I'll get to you. And if I don't, please hit me back. Call yeah. me. Yeah. Call me. You got the phone number and the email. Um, far as haircut services, uh, again, I'm definitely appointment only, and you would have to um, go on WaverlyWillis.com is, is my website, my personal website. You can book an appointment from there. So WaverlyWillis at gmail.com, WaverlyWillis.com, or uh, 216-245-8822. Uh, we just, this past week, we're at me and three of my students went to Euclid Park Elementary School uh, and uh, we took some manic. They wanted to talk to the, it was an after school program for some young men mm-hmm. and they wanted to talk about being a barber. But I, my idea was they didn't want to hear an old Mr. Willis talking about barbering. So I took three of my young students, we took some mannequin heads down there. Man, those young kids were so engaged uh, when we started letting them cut hair. Oh, like, that is excellent. You know, so uh, I definitely want to do that again. I know uh, 
the administration of the school would probably cringe when they hear me saying this because <laughs> I'm always putting something on the plate, but this is my space. Yes. That, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing to to know why you're here. Yes, it is. You know, and at 51 years old, you know, I'm settling into why I'm here. You know, it's it's not only to cut hair, but to sow seeds. I know now why I was allowed to survive cancer, to survive um, homelessness, to survive drug addiction, to survive alcoholism, to survive mental and emotional health. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's a reason. And so now I know. So now I I keep my my plate full. So I really want to uh, continue to engage with the young people and promote entrepreneurialism. It's great to have a nine to five, but it's always good to have your own thing too. Yes, it is. And mm-hmm. as and as my mama used to say, everything happens for a reason. Yes, ma'am. Your mother was a <laughs> was a very wise woman. Mr. Waverly Willis, I really want to thank you for stopping by today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's been my pleasure. My pleasure as well. I would like to leave our audience with a quote from my guest today. My plan was to die in a crack house. God had another plan for my life. That is why I am so happy in the morning. Life is about perspective and how you look at it. I would like to thank our audience for stopping by today as well. We really appreciate your support. Please join us again as we continue our conversation with Clevelanders who are making positive contributions to their neighborhoods. Visit Neighborhood Connections' website to see all of our community engagement activities and opportunities. If you have a great idea and you want to do something positive for your community, contact Neighborhood Connections at 216-361-0042 or send us an email at www.neighborhoodgrants.org and like us on Facebook. Stay informed, stay involved, stay connected. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining me today on Neighborhood Spotlight. Neighborhood Spotlight is sponsored by Neighborhood Connections and the City of Cleveland Cable Television Equity and Arts Fund in association with Bad Rock Recording Studio. Executive producer, creator, writer, host, Carol Malone. Co-producer, Lila Mills. Engineer, James Kanan. Photography, social media, Vince Robinson. Graphic artist, Kadrian Hinton. We're just a homemade, handmade podcast from scratch. Please share our positive stories with your neighbors, friends, and family and on your social media. Thank you for listening and neighbor up.